Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I am back from a hiatus here to detail more on what's been happening in the great outdoors, especially as it relates to policy emanating from the Department of Interior, Congress, and other outfits where policy emanates, especially policy that affects those of you who hunt, fish, shoot guns, believe in forest management, and conservation overall. As always, I am grateful to Real Camel Girl for sponsoring this podcast day in and day out. They've been here since the beginning, and it's something out of mutual cooperation, and I'm so grateful for those ladies for putting their support and trust in me to attach my podcast to their awesome brand. It's for women who love fishing, hunting, shooting sports, foraging, wild game cooking, and the like. You can learn more about them at realcamelgirl.com. As for what I'm going to discuss today, here is a rundown of what you can expect on episode 38 of District of Conservation. First thing I want to discuss with you all today is giving a recap of what happened in Kansas last week when I went out to the Professional Outdoor Media Association's annual business conference. I believe it was the 14th conference of its kind. As you guys may have seen on social media, I came home with a brand new title as an award-winning outdoor writer. Yes, that is very true. And and that is something I've still been trying to grasp and come down from cloud nine on. I've been very excited and happy to share this. And I hope I haven't overblown coverage or posting of it on social media much, but it's just something I'm really excited about and eager to channel to and use my story as inspiration for other outdoor communicators or communicators out there who are interested in really making a difference. And it all stems back to when I joined in October of last year. I was mulling joining POMA for a long time. I met Kevin Orthman, who is the executive director at SHOT Show 2018. And I had previously met before then Michelle Schuerman, who I've known across the outdoor industry for several years. And she was telling me about it. And then Mia Anstein also told me that I should join it as well. And I was talking to my friend, Debbie Hansen, who runs She Fishes Too. She's an awesome fishing guide, uh, outdoor communicator herself, prize-winning, award-winning outdoor writer herself. And I was kind of in a, a rut last summer about how do I kind of make a bigger splash in outdoor communication. And she had told me, there's this gentleman that could help you expand your horizons in terms of where you're being placed and what you're doing. So she connected me to Tom Keir, who runs the Keir Group in Massachusetts. And Tom is a pretty illustrious outdoor communicator himself. And the two of them have had some overlap. And I have yet to still meet Tom, but he has helped me a lot um, for the last year. And without his guidance and just his navigation of outdoor publication, outdoor writing, it's very different from articles I've done in politics. I've been able to be placed all over politics or center-right conservative publications. But navigating, let's say, the 
outdoor industry media landscape, it is a lot different and can be a lot more challenging. It is connections based, much like you find in politics, but it's there's an art to it even more so. So Tom helped me make pivotal connections. I got connected to some editors and one thing led to another and that led to me writing. And one of those publications that he suggested I should write for was Sporting Classics Daily, the daily version of Sporting Classics magazine where my winning entry was featured in. And I wrote, as I talked about previously early on in the podcast, uh, it was a piece called Judicial Review Shouldn't Trump Wildlife Management. And I wrote in detail about the federal injunction placed on the fall 2018 grizzly bear manage hunt that was slated to take place uh, after the Fish and Wildlife Service concluded that the greater Yellowstone grizzly bear had returned to healthy populations and it was necessary for the agency to reduce its conservation threatened status or endangered status to a lower degree, which is seen as a success when you are lowering the threshold or lowering the alarm that is attached to a particular conservation status. And a lot of people on the ground, wildlife agencies, uh, experts, wildlife biologists, hunters, and other active stakeholders were looking forward to this hunt taking place in this Judge, Judge Christensen, Dana Christensen, uh, basically used his power and, and he exerted a particular decision that he had no ability to do so in a in a cogent and responsible manner. He shouldn't have decided on this and left this to the experts. Uh, but he, he basically took political sides and sided with animal rights activists and those who practice preservation to put an injunction on this. And I interviewed Joe Condilis, who was a featured guest here on the podcast. Also a friend, Jenna Waller of Sportsman Channel's Skullbound TV. So I talked to both of them and they really did make this piece what it is, the prize winning piece that it is. And had I not had their input, I don't think this, this piece would have done as well as it did. And that's kind of a brief framework as to how I got roped in, why this piece was selected and uh, when time came to submit for awards earlier this year, I was just like, I'm just going to throw my hat into consideration. I'll try sending in these pieces. I sent in another bear piece on black bear efforts happening in New Jersey and the the direct removal of hunting access of black bears that happened there. That was interesting uh, to write about as well. I also featured and submitted a piece on women who are making waves in fishing for Verily Magazine and another Sporting Classics piece I did, which was my first one actually, called The Reluctant Mushroom Hunter, on how I found my footing as a forager uh, tagging alongside my father and also my mother when we went to a Japanese resort uh, that actually was home to some prime foraging opportunities for chanterelle mushrooms and also for morels. But the season that we went hunting in was uh, last summer, late summer, August. So it was prime for chanterelles. And I wrote about that as well. So it was really interesting that um, when I learned that I would be a finalist, as I talked about a few episodes ago, that when I found out during dinner last week, when all the conference was said and done or right it deep in the heart of the conference that uh, my name would be called up for a category winner slot versus a outstanding achievement recipient. I, I knew I was going into the award ceremony coming away with some accolade, but I had no idea that I would be the top conservation entry, which is really cool and speaks, I guess, to my writing prowess, I guess, 
um, over the years, I've had to develop a bit more confidence with my writing ability and, and my ability to believe that I could actually enter stuff into contests and win. I have always had that great fear. I've always kind of been not wanting to get attention or really make too much noise. But everyone has said, if you're putting the work into stuff and people are responding to it, you should share it with everyone and you should try to get honored for your work. Any aspiring outdoor communicator listening to this podcast now, I want you to take away from what I've just talked about and just this award that I've received and think that you can also be capable of doing this. I'm not doing this to get brownie points, to become famous. I've been working on my writing career for 13 years on top of what I do more recently with consulting, media consulting. It all kind of goes together. But anyone who strives and works hard at writing can get honored like I have and many other outdoor writers have gotten. And it's not impossible, especially if you join a group like the Professional Outdoor Media Association. And I know I've kind of been all over the place with explaining the award, how I came to POMA, why I joined, what the benefits are for me. I've made really outstanding connections. And as a result of those connections, especially through Tom Keir, I've been able to be published in Sporting Classics and most recently Field and Stream and Outdoor Life. These connections are extremely pivotal. They're going to take you to great heights and you could win awards like I have. And I'll have more of an explainer as to why you should join an organization like POMA in the coming days. I promise to have something more business-like as it relates to it. I put out a blog post just kind of about initial thoughts on me winning this and you can find that in the show notes. But thank you guys all for the kind regards on social media, through texts, uh, phone calls. I even got a few phone calls and all that. That was really nice of everyone to send that. But thank you guys again. I will not stop telling people stories or reporting on underreported topics. And I also say that you shouldn't listen to your detractors, especially people who try to put you in a box in terms of creative ability. So don't listen to detractors. Work hard. Uh, be open to failure and trying and, and doing all this type of stuff. And like I said, your career will take off as well. Another thing I wanted to discuss Going back on my award-winning pieces, if you subscribe to Sporting Classics Magazine, you're going to find a reprint of my article, actually the first time it's been published in print, in the September-October edition of Sporting Classics. I will also have an addendum as to any updates that have related to this court case or this injunction that was placed on the grizzly bear hunt, so look out for that. If you get it, you should tag me and comment or send it my way or just tag me and I'll share it and repost and we can get it spread out even more but it's really cool and I think you guys are going to like it if you have not seen it and seeing it in print is is really just something I'm very excited for it I'm just completely blown away by the response that this piece has gotten and and what it's been able to produce hopefully healthy conversations and in piquing people's interests about true conservation efforts even with the controversial subjects like manage bear hunts because I think that needs to be discussed more and and a rational tone needs to be applied to that topic as well. A topic that I haven't really waited on but have started to form opinions on especially as someone who lived in California and was routinely affected by forest fires everywhere even as close as my high school. I want to talk about reforms to NEPA which is the National Environmental Policy Act that the Forest Service has recommended to make sure that the agency is more effective with combating the issues as it relates to proper and effective forest management. This environmental law was approved by Congress in 1969, and what it does, and I'm reading from a really good Hill op-ed, 
essentially, it requires federal agencies to report the potential environmental effects of proposed actions. And it also goes on to say that opponents of forest management are predictably attacking this effort in partisan terms, though the Forest Service approach may bring the agency in closer compliance with existing regulations issued by the Obama administration's Council on Environmental Quality. And if the agency successfully completes this process, the Forest Service will better be better positioned to utilize many of the new tools and resources that have been recently approved by Congress with bipartisan support. And it goes on to say one more paragraph that I think is important to to emphasize is this. Changes are needed because the Forest Service has been negatively influenced by anti-forest activism and the real and perceived threat of litigation over NEPA compliance. Consequently, the agency developed a risk-averse culture requiring its people to spend more time preparing paperwork when they should be actively managing and mitigating the threats to multiple-use public lands, especially those that have been identified as suitable for timber harvests. I think this is really interesting and timely, the discussion of forest service reforms, because you guys may have been seeing what's been happening in Oregon. I know a lot of people have been portraying it as like a violent protest and all these other wild caricatures that have been placed on uh, those protesting a cap and trade bill that is being considered. And there were a lot of images of people in timber and forestry and other related industries, which make up a huge bulk of Oregon's economy. And they were just protesting their concerns about the ramifications of this bill. And you go all over the West coast or, or Western United States, and you see these problems as I alluded to earlier in the segment I grew up in California where we had so much dry brush. It's a desert after all. And I just remember maybe because California's politics are just so wayward and they were just so influenced by radical environmentalist interests, they never had effective management policies in place and so much clear brush has accumulated and it gets on fire very easily. Just simply, that's what it does. It's not some existential magical force that creates these fires. It's usually a flint reaction or it's it's usually triggered by excess brush that lays over it catches fire and then all these crazy fires start especially by people who unintentionally and even intentionally start fires too so with all this brush and and without these forests being properly managed and cleared uh, you have these instances of wildfires especially the very drastic deadly fires that have happened recently in recent years there and that's something people don't want to discuss they want to put a political blanket statement saying it's because of this phenomenon that this is happening or this it's not it's the proof is in the pudding and even jerry brown when he was leaving the governorship to hand it over to gavin newsom he even conceded that we did not have effective management practices in place and conceded that too much was uh ceded to environmental interests who were his backers so you even have people who are not really keen on forestry management efforts conceding that they did a terrible job of management efforts So NEPA policy, compliance guidelines, which have dated back to 1992, something you should look out for, especially if you're out west. And again, how does this relate to people here in the D.C. metro area? It's emanating from this agency here from the Department of Agriculture where this agency sits. And you're going to see more of this because a lot of people have started to come to terms that if timber and forestry services and businesses are sidelined and not able to do their job, it's going to hurt the economy and it's going to hurt the environment 
especially the most. So that is what you should know about NEPA compliance. If you are local to the Washington, D.C. metro area, and you don't have to be to be a listener of this podcast, but you may know that we have a lot of National Park Service properties here in the metro area. We have a lot of the monuments. We have many historical sites. We have battlefields from the Civil War era all over peppered all over Virginia and Maryland and even was in um, Pennsylvania all over the place. And if you are free on 4th of July, there is a really cool event happening. And I know some critics will say that this is just a political event, but I'm going to check out what the president is going to be doing during his 4th of July celebration called the salute to America. And it's going to be a, event happening in the evening according to WTOP and it says it'll start at 6:30 and it's going to include music, military demonstrations and flyovers including the old guard fife and drum corps, the US Army band, the armed forces chorus, the United States Marine Corps silent drill team and plenty of others. And as you guys know, the National Park Service is under the purview of the Department of Interior. And here's what Interior Secretary David Bernhardt said about what this what the president will do and and how it'll incorporate all five branches of the military and he says this according to a news release there is no more appropriate place to celebrate the anniversary of american independence than among the nation's monuments on the national mall and the memorials to the servicemen and women who have defended the united states for the past 243 years he said in a news release and he continued by saying for the first time in many years, the World War II Memorial and areas around the reflecting pool will be open for the public to enjoy a stunning fireworks display and an address by our commander in chief. We are excited to open these new areas so that more visitors may experience this year's Independence Day celebration in our nation's capital. I'm very curious to see how this event will play out. I believe it's free and open to the public, but I will include links to that in the show notes for you guys to check out. If you are local, you have no 4th of July plans. If you love the memorials like I do here, let's go support our National Park Service. I'm not sure if they're going to have tokens or refreshments or things of that sort, but it's a great way to learn more about the National Park Service system and the properties that comprise it, especially monuments. Um, You all have seen the World War II Memorial, the Vietnam War Memorial, Uh, The National Mall, the reflecting pool has been drained periodically in and out for like many years. And recently I saw it was drained. And in years prior, I've seen it full. So it's going to be cool to see just what happens. The the fireworks display, the the military uh, bands that play as well. And just to see what what happens. I plan to have more guests from all over the country, particularly those who are local to the D.C. metro area or those who may work in and around the area or at least be impacted by what happens in Washington, D.C. on the program. For those of you who are unfamiliar as to what our theme is or or what our goals are, I try to bring on storytellers, people with unique events, people who affect and legislate on policy, those who are affected by policy, and just any type of stakeholder uh, from the area. But I think many people don't really dedicate a podcast to discussing policy or interesting happenings. I'm not usually dedicating the podcast episodes to personal things, but I thought I should talk a little bit about what was happening with me recently um, from there and and let it be kind of an inspiration for others out there um, to know that they, they are also capable of doing that as well. Be sure to download District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts. That is our 
very popular way of listening to us. You can also listen to us on 11 other supporting platforms. I believe iHeartRadio was recently added. Overcast is something people are listening to us on. There are plenty of platforms you can find, and you should be able to hear us on different kinds of avenues. Thank you guys for listening, and we will resume with guests in the coming weeks.